I have Daman Rangulo. What's going on, man? Hey, good, good. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Did I get the name right? You nailed it. Nice one. Okay, right. I'm already starting the, the podcast off on a <laughs> on a high. The, you know, Daman's kindly, you know, volunteered his time to come on uh, a little bit later. We're going to talk his, you know, beloved Lakers and various other Western Conference topics. But uh, I, I figured before, like, like I got up about an hour or two ago, my time. And the box trade had gone down, you know, this earth-shattering box trade. <laughs> Mega deal. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'll I'll just I'll read off the the, the particulars. Just um, it's it's essentially you know Matthew Davidova is going home to the land, uh, going to Cleveland uh, along with John Hansen and I believe a first and second round pick. Uh, what well, sorry, the second round pick is going to Washington. I believe the particulars are a little bit fuzzy right now. And then George Hill is going to Milwaukee, and Sam Dacker is going to uh, Washington. And obviously, like the you know Milwaukee's absorbing Jason Kidd, Kidd or Jason Kidd, Paul, get it together. <laughs> it's not. It's not two thousand four. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they listen. The Bucks have had to absorb Jason Kidd for the last few years. So that's actually, that's actually a that, that almost sounds like a pre plan a pre plan joke, but I really wasn't. <laughs> It's not two thousand four, Paul. You're not in uni- you're not in university anymore. Uh, no, no, they've, they've absorbed Jason Smith's uh, contract, and I, as soon as I heard it, well, that's the, that's the trade. As soon as I heard it, I immediately just thought of the big picture, Giannis and everything. Yeah. What do you what did you make of the trade just in and of itself, and what do you think it speaks to in terms of the long term picture? Over the next few yeah, years, yeah, I, I, I think that you kind of zoned in on what it's about. It's about Giannis. It's about keeping this team intact. Um, clearly, the Bucks have shown um, early this year with uh, Coach Budenholzer kind of implementing a modern offense finally in Milwaukee around Giannis that they have something very, I'd say, pretty special uh, brewing in Milwaukee. And this team was about to get really uh, hard to keep together. Uh, while they had those contracts of Matthew Dolvadova and John Henson. And so um, they had to make a move. I, I think uh, if you had asked Bucks fans before the year started if they could unload both of those deals in a uh, in, in one trade, they you know they would have been ecstatic. They might not have believed us. Um, and and you know, truth be told, like this th- this comes down to the fact that uh, I, I appreciate their uh, sort of going for it. I think George Hill is going to contribute for them. They didn't really have a, a backup point guard option. Matthew Dovadova basically to play this year, and if anybody's going to get you know proper George Hill minutes, it'll be Budenholzer. They have a connection from San Antonio, um, and you know it, this is where when teams make mistakes, uh, you always have to pay for them. And the Dovadova contract was a mistake. The John Henson contract ended up being a mistake. And so this is part of the payment in that. So short term, this makes sense. Short term, this is really good. Um, Long term, the Bucks are going to um, 
maybe look back at the last five, six years and, and maybe not be as happy as they should be with uh, their team just because they, while they have a good team around Giannis right now, if, if they had just been a little bit smarter, that margin of error for small market teams just isn't there. And uh, I think this is all about sort of correcting some mistakes in the past. Did you hear that? Did you hear the small market slander from the big Lakers <laughs> fan? <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's almost—it's almost like it's—it's—it's. Uh, it's, it's, it, this this is the thing that will never get removed from uh, no matter what the CBA does. Um, the margin for error will always be smaller for small market teams, and that's just unfortunate. It, it like it, it is what it is. Definitely, I think that. Well, there's a couple of things to unpack. I agree with you in the getting off. Dalvadova's contract and John Hansen's contract, and I, that's not to, that's not to say that those guys aren't in certain circumstances maybe useful players. John Hansen's been injured, you know, a good bit this season, and he was flashing, you know, a bit of a three ball, and seems seems like a good guy. Whatever, it's not the like slam to those guys in any way, but getting off the contracts, as you say, is big. Uh, getting George Hill, you can like he he's a guy who can play with either of the two guards that they have in Brogdon and, and Eric Bledsoe. He can run the show himself. He can shoot. He's shooting the three ball well this season. So I like it, you know, I like it in a vacuum in the moment. The interesting wrinkle about the trade, obviously, was um, Adrian Rojanowski. I probably butcher his name too. I don't even know how many times I've heard it say. But, uh, yeah, no, Woj, let's just go with that. Woj, yeah, exactly. yeah, That's a lot easier to say. Uh, that, you know, CBA, uh, not CBA, uh, I suppose it would be CBS, sorry, that um, if they signed him before 6 p.m. Eastern today, as of when we're recording, the players are players are then eligible to be retraded, along with like they can combine up that those players with other contracts to move before the trade deadline. So theoretically, George Hill's expiring could be used in a trade for player X. So I think it is. It seems to seems to suggest the fact that they were so eager to get this deal done before this time that maybe that they have maybe they have their sights on someone already maybe they're just banking on someone becoming you know jimmy butler i think we should actually right. introduce that into the lexicon like right. it would be an adjective you know <laughs> no i suppose it's actually present perfect he's been he's been butchered butlerized yeah it's, it's just like short right. time you know that's a good point too i i do think uh i respect uh any sort of organization that is not going to just rest like the bucks could have easily said well we're fine we're we're a good team you know we're gonna finish we're gonna have home court in first round first second your first two rounds possibly first three rounds possibly right and hey we're, we're, we're content to stay put, but I, I, I do appreciate uh, whenever teams sort of put the put the foot on the pedal a little. Uh, and, and, the, and the thing that makes this different from the two, the two cautionary tales for me in terms of these players, and one of them hasn't even really played out yet, would be Anthony Davis and LeBron. And the thing that killed me about the way the Cavs handled LeBron the first time around and, and the way, and in a lot of aspects, the Pelicans have handled Anthony Davis since he got there is you get this player and immediately with LeBron it was clear a lot sooner that and he, like you get this player it immediately becomes clear that this guy is not just good not just great but like all time great and it's like duh, 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 duh. you know like we have right, to right. make these really myopic short sighted moves that ruin 
that that root like instead of just letting things grow kind of organically and just like trying to add things and make smart moves around so i i hate that side of it but i totally agree with you because the difference between those two situations and what milwaukee has now is milwaukee basically has uh two or three quarters of a successful like we might be able to get to the finals team and that right. they've got Giannis, they've got a great kind of like a second or third guy in Middleton. They've and they've got the coach. You know, they've got right. they've got three things. So I was like, you might as well go for it. Yeah. At this exactly. point if if it's in any way possible. So I like what what are your what what are your reads on or what do you actually think is going to like how is this whole thing going to pan out as far as like Giannis's future just as we wrap this part up? I you know it's it's uh it's it's always tough to say um Lakers, Lakers, Lakers. in terms <laughs> well listen, as, a, as a as a Laker fan well I, I should say uh, I, as a Laker fan I'm very happy with how. The Pelicans have handled Anthony Davis, <laughs> uh, especially given that he's uh, Anthony Davis is now a clutch client. So uh, I'd like them to keep, you know, keep keep doing what they're doing. He's a clutch. Uh, is a clutch client like he's really good in fourth quarters? Or what are you alluding to there, Damon? Like, oh, Damon, I, I really want to know. No. <laughs> and and yeah, but with with regards to Giannis long term in, in Milwaukee, um, it this is always a tough thing for players like how how to portray how they feel about their current situations. Um, it really does feel like Giannis is all about winning, and if Milwaukee can surround that team with a winner, um, I I actually do envision him staying. Um, if 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 they're in contention, you know, consistently they have a good team, good culture. Um, I, I, I could see him staying, and I think that this kind of deal is 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 a good kind of indication at that, and, and the front office must feel um, at some level they can keep Chris Middleton and Giannis and these guys long-term. Um, and I, I could absolutely see it. It's not as cut and dry as, uh, so Anthony Davis, right? If Anthony Davis doesn't stay in New, in New Orleans, which I don't think he is, the question is what team he's going to, not if he's going to and I don't think that we can get anywhere near that when it comes to Giannis and his future in Milwaukee. Definitely, and and uh, like, I, I I hate actually bringing this name up because I don't like hot tech artists and that whole first tech kind of thing. Max Kellerman was on Zach Lowe a, a while back, and he was talking. He actually made a good point, one of his very good points on that podcast. That <laughs> we like with, with we have a tendency to project if we don't know. So like with with Kevin Durant. He was this, you know. He, he was in this situation. We didn't really know that much about him, and everything was like, "Oh, he's in a small market team. And he seems like a nice kid." And then, no, it's not to say any of that, you know, wasn't technically true. But we didn't really know anything about Kevin Durant in a real or, you know, as far as like what what we've kind of learned over the last couple of years, and just like he's become a little bit more candid with the media and everything. We didn't really know anything about him, so it's really difficult to try and figure out a guy's intentions if you don't know anything about that person in a real sense. And with Giannis, I think he maybe comes across as a little bit more just simple. I came over from Greece and you know I, I love Milwaukee and everything, and that might be true, but it also might be he's lying in bed at night wondering what it would be like to suit up for the Knicks, you know, you know, it, could, it literally could be, not to get Knicks fans that are listening all aroused, but, uh, uh, you know, you, uh, that would be the thing I would say, so he's got two years left on his contract, 
we're already talking about it. It's going to be unbearable by the time we get the, you know, <laughs> by the time we get the next year. Right. Uh, so, like, let's move from that trade into talking about a little bit about disasters. Uh, actually, sorry, just to, to preface this because it'll lead us into. Uh, did you see the Rudy Gobert tantrum yesterday? It's like the highlight, oh, the, hi- the, hi- the highlight of a truly awful night of basketball. <laughs> it was, it was. I mean, it was an awful doubleheader on TNT, and yeah, that was. It was quite delightful. I, I, I have to say, like, um, jazz fans uh, are, are pretty uh, can be uh, pretty rude online, and I, from everything we've heard about the jazz fans in the stadium, they can be pretty loud and obnoxious. Uh, so, part of this year has been enjoyable for me to watch. <laughs> uh, I, this is my thing, right? As someone who frequently, I've got an Irish temper. As someone who frequently gets, uh, you know, annoyed and pr- prone to rage with inanimate objects, uh, if you're gonna throw a tantrum, you have to look like you can't look like the way he did. I know he's awkward because he's like seven foot whatever like as long as a train but like the way through it just looked comical to me it was like i was like three minutes into the game and you're talking about jazz fans it was hilarious because i after like 27 minutes because he got tossed uh he got tossed you know with three minutes in and he was minus three at the time you know plus plus minus and then rudy or sorry uh, dark favors was like plus 17 so i tweeted out uh, Dark Favors is plus 17 for this game and Rudy Gobert is minus 3 I think we all know it's time to trade Rudy Gay I was like there's <laughs> going to be or sorry Rudy Gay, Rudy Gobert so I was like there's going to be someone that's going to get the ho- on the hook here and take this seriously and sure enough like, oh, that's <laughs> awesome. there was you, know someone... you know what's interesting even though you're joking about that the, the Rudy Gobert as a centerpiece for that team is going to be really interesting moving forward because in a playoff situation, I can see somebody like him getting exposed where he's one of the best defenders we've seen in some time, right? He's excellent. Like, I, I, I don't deny that at all. But given the pace that teams play with and how when teams go small, they can really exploit players like him, I wonder how his value will hold up in a second or third round playoffs if they make it this far this year. And, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating where a player as good as Rudy Gobert uh, when it gets into high leverage sort of playoff situations, uh, how much their value is or isn't diminished? I think it's very interesting. I I mean it's it's the same question that that the the Sixers are are kind of facing to a, a certain extent is Embiid can defend on the perimeter in spots, same way Rudy Gobert can, and they're way more mobile than than if you've ever seen a seven foot person in part like a seven foot guy in person like just in normal life they're very cumbersome people like they don't walk normally because it's not normal to be that tall so like i'm not trying to shit on like those guys move really really well for guys that size but as you say at the very highest level of the playoffs when you've got steph curry pulling you you know 30 putting you in pick and roll and pulling you 30 feet from the basket it's really, really difficult for those guys to defend in space like that, and in playoffs, they just zone in on a on a weakness and just exploit it. And even like a guy like Kevin Love, Kevin Love's an incredible player and really competes on defense, and you know it was so important uh, what the Cavaliers did. But he was like borderline unplayable at times. 
because yeah. you know because of what a kind of similar thing to what you're talking about uh yeah it's uh, that's definitely something worth tracking so from terrible tantrums to terrible teams uh, that's that's a really solid trans <laughs> really really solid transition there paul uh the the two teams that kind of wanted to talk about first before we move into the into the lakers were the houston rockets and the suns who uh have like the rockets i guess have disappointed and the suns are just awful and it's 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 you know trying to figure out what's the best way to play things forward which of those teams do you want to talk about first uh, let's talk the Suns because I think it's an easy conversation. Okay, uh, the Suns—they, you know, easily the worst, uh, the worst record in the West. They're four and twenty-one, like in a, in a West where where one through fourteen is separated by six and a half games. The Suns are thirteen and a half games back in fifteenth place. They, I guess the look. I I get into a debate. I got into a debate with some people on. On Twitter over whether or not they actually should get a point guard and I have some thoughts on that but I'm curious to get your take first and then we can kind of go back on it yeah I, I, I honestly I don't even think that that's you know like the getting a point guard will definitely help them but I think that there needs to be more sort of outcry and I don't know I think there should be like more of a mechanism to handle situations where ownership is so bad that there's no amount of players that you can add or no amount of good coaching that you can add to an organization like that, uh, that's not going to backfire. And by the way, um, Robert Sarver has been a bad owner even when they had those Steve Nash teams with Mike D'Antoni where they were you know, competing for titles. He was still an awful owner then. Um, and, and I just, I, I'm surprised that he doesn't get more grief. I think that when if you ask like a casual fan who you think is the worst owner in the NBA, a lot of people will say Dolan because the Knicks media goes after Dolan a lot, uh, um, and you know fans from New York go after Dolan a lot. But I don't think it's close. I think Sarver has been the worst owner, and he, there. I, I I'm just quite honestly pretty surprised that there isn't like a daily story about how bad he has been as an owner. I think just the fact that the, it's 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 Phoenix, uh, which is right. you know which is like a, oh, has always traditionally been a a, t- a place that I'm not I don't know I know absolutely nothing about Phoenix Arizona by the way but like I think it's the fact that it's not one of those big markets that people give less of a shit or they're gonna they're gonna criticize them less in the the the, the general kind of public. But yeah, I agree. Look, the, the Robert Sarver is an awful owner, which is why whenever Suns fans bring up. Igor's, uh, Igor's rotations or anything to do like anything like that, or when they bring up, you know, not, uh, you know, Ram McDonough when they bring up his kind of moves that led them getting fired and everything else. It's like you no idea. Everything points to this guy being a really maddling bad owner. And if you're like, if my like, if I'm working in a supermarket, and my manager comes up and says. Paul, you have to wear this spinach as a hat for the rest of the day. I'm wearing spinach as a hat, no matter how stupid it is. Right, right, you, right. You know, it's if you're no matter. It doesn't matter what level of the world you're at. You, everyone's got a boss almost, and everyone has to acquiesce to whatever that boss is saying, no matter how stupid it is. 
Right. I, I do think I think that it's um, a lot of general managers sort of cover for their owners, which is part of their job, I feel like. Um, but we don't we don't understand at what level owners make some of these decisions, especially when it comes to like lottery picks. By all accounts, it seemed like um, as soon as the Suns won the lottery, Sarver was all in on Aiton, and Aiton could be good. Like there, there's no. Um, it's he's still so young and he, he obviously is like you know there's there's talent there, um, but the fact that if an owner is making that decision is just a terribly run organization. That's a, that's a terrible way to do it. As it, 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 yeah, I don't want to get into like the whole Doncic versus Eaton thing because I've done it to death. <laughs> but like right. the like do you know what like because I guess this this goes into the whole point guard thing because to me as in the in terms of the team sealing this this season. I don't think if you get in, like anyone reasonable to get in, like Terry Rozier or insert borderline starting point guard X, I think those, the teams that are giving up starting point guard X or borderline starting point guard X are going to know that Robert Sauber is a bad owner, going to know that, that they probably are going to be able to extrapolate more from Phoenix than what they should be giving up. And I, I, I just got this feeling that they're going to make a really, really, really stupid trade where they, like, give up a first-round pick for, you know, like, for the rights to pay Terry Rozier a stupid amount of money. And and, and the thing is, in, in, in terms of this year, I think that that might only turn them from a, a 12-win team or a 15-win team, depending on how things shake out, to a 17-win team. Like, what the what the hell? Like, I mean, they really need a, a, a point guard, but it's not going to shore up the fact they've got a bunch of awful players on the roster who can't defend, no coherency, that have been used to losing. You know, I, right. I, I just don't I just don't see how you can look at them getting... They're getting blown. Their point differential, at least according to ESPN, is minus 11.4. That's worse than the Hawks. And you and people are and people are telling me that we've got to get Terry Rozier in here so that the, the players don't get too used to losing. As I, I don't know who you think that guy is, but yeah, the 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 Suns are. I I think I think a lot of their fan base genuinely thought, and I have a lot, I have a few Suns fans that I, I I really like going back and forth with, on Twitter, and you know I like I think they really thought this team had a chance to be. A fringe playoff team. And well, so the owner did. I mean, that's what Robert Sarver said when he fired McDonough. He basically said, "I'm tired of losing," and and this this really goes back to. I mean, I I can't say this enough. Like, so you you mentioned uh, when we started talking about the Phoenix, uh, talking about Phoenix. Phoenix actually has every component to be a free agent destination, um, and and I mean this. Uh, when LaMarcus Aldridge was considering free agency and, and all these guys, like there's a reason why Phoenix holds appeal that the, it's, it's almost like, um, we never used to think about the golden state warriors as a free agent destination, right? So what they're in Oakland or San Francisco, who cares? But once the ownership got good and the team got good, now we would consider them a big market team all of a sudden. Um, I, I really think that, Phoenix has the ability to maybe not be a premier free agent destination, but nowhere near the wasteland it is right now. That that ownership, like that, they need. I, I honestly like. I, I I'm curious why, like how something can be implemented where if owner and owner is this bad, 
this this toxic, uh, what can be done? Because it's 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 that bad in Phoenix, and nothing will change unless Sarver goes. Uh, unless they they just lock into like the next LeBron. I don't know anything about Zion Williamson, but maybe he's that guy. I don't know, but like. Uh, I, I feel like that's the only thing that kind of gets over really bad ownership is if you're just like really fortunate to, uh, it's, yeah. it's been said to death I'm not this isn't an original thought but unless like maybe the second greatest player in the history of the game was lucky enough to be born relatively close to your franchise you know yeah. that's so like yeah the, the Phoenix I, I agree with you I mean like that's the thing about ownership I mean uh, I was about to say Jim Dolan Clippers owner Donald Sterling. Donald Sterling was, by all accounts, a piece of shit, a well-known piece of shit, a well-known racist piece of shit, who was incredibly incompetent and cheap for decades, and he still, it literally took him to be caught on, like, you know, on audio, saying a, you know, he, like a relatively heinous thing for him to be ousted. So I, I, if, I, if I was a, a Phoenix fan, I wouldn't even, you, you just need to hope maybe that... And, and by the way, that is the parallel I would draw in terms of Robert Sarver's ownership. He is truly just, and I'm talking obviously just in terms of how their basketball ownership is. Uh, Donald Sterling and uh, Robert Sarver, I don't really see a big difference between them. And, and so it's that bad. Yeah, yeah. On that happy note, let's, uh, let's transition <laughs> to uh, the Houston Rockets who, they, 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 they were so bad yesterday against the Jazz, they actually, because I, I looked at it just before the game, and I'm going by NBA.com now, they dropped from 6th place in offense to ninth in one game. Now, we're still relatively early all in the season, but that we're almost a third of the way in. That's a, that's a massive drop for one game. So, like Chris Paul doesn't look like himself, and I don't know if it's the hamstring. I don't know if it's just aging has crapped up out of the darkness. I don't. I don't really know. The depth is non-existent. They've, you know, the early on in the season. I still think that Mallow was a yeah, Mallow. Sorry, I don't want to bring that up so soon, but uh, <laughs> I still think that Mallow was a massive problem because he's a bad player, and I think they have looked relatively better since he left, but it still doesn't get a away from the fact that they're basically outside of a labored pole, James Harden, Eric Gordon, who's not really playing that well, and Clint Capella, PJ Tucker, sorry. They don't really have good players. Right. I, I, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of factors involved in what we're seeing in Houston. Um, first and foremost, I think that they, last year was a very special year for them in that basically everybody on that team had a career year. Um, and, those things happen sometimes, and uh, it kind of reminds me of the Mavericks team that uh, won the championship. And I, I look at them, and it really feels like last year was their shot. And and now we're here this year. Um, and what did they do in the summer? They, I, I, I believe, and, and kind of keeping a common theme in the Suns and, and Rockets, the Rockets had an ownership change, and they made a lot of decisions in the summer that cut the luxury tax bill. And I think Daryl Morey can give as many interviews as he wants. He can cover for the owner as much as he wants. Uh, ultimately, the Rockets had to make, uh, I don't know, had to make, but they made decisions to reduce their payroll burden. And I think those decisions at the margins make a big difference. And 
beyond that, yes, they had a career year. Uh, like uh, so many players had career years, and if if they came back down to their career averages like they have, uh, with lesser players around them, then this is what you see, you know. And and these are the decisions. These are the margins where ownership makes the biggest difference. Definitely, as uh, the, the the willingness to spend. Which you know, I, I'm not in the business of telling a billionaire how to spend his money, but I, like. Right. It is. It is what it is. The that's one thing that you you could. Um, it's one. It's a. It's a big difference maker if your if your owner is just willing to eat the tax, you know. So yeah. and like you look at it, James Harden's averaging twenty nine point eight points on twenty point three shots, you know, eight point three assists, two point one steals. He's shooting the lights out on pull up threes, and they just look. I I said and I I put it out on Twitter that. I think if it, if we get to Christmas and they're still looking the way they have and Paul is still looking the way he has, it might just be time to just say the Rockets just might not be good, you know. Right. And I don't I don't right. I don't like to make grand sweeping statements. Who the hell, who am I kidding? I love making grand sweeping statements. <laughs> but I think uh, as it just like a complete aside, like how crazy is James Harden's career been? I don't re- really recall. A guy being in like the same team who's experienced as many dizzy and highs and like like just weird lows like season to season he seems to just very, go yeah, from very up and down very up and down for the Rockets as a team it's like you know uh, this year we're we're gonna be you know, we're gonna look amazing and then the next next year we're gonna be wondering what's going on yeah it's very up and down and like if you look at you know I'm on basketball <laughs> reference if you look at their their top guys in minutes played outside of the five guys that I said are you know are good. You got Gary Clark, rookie, Gerald Green, Mallow actually is still ninth in uh, in total minutes played. Uh, like Hardenstein, Carter Williams down down the house. Uh, Marquise Chris got fifty three minutes. I mean it's that's just a big collection of shit. <laughs> you right. know, no, and, you know I I will say though I think that. Um, I still do believe in their ability to rebound, um, just because Chris Paul and Harden are so good. Chris Paul, you know, having a slow start is not a very uh, unique thing for him. He he kind of he's he's at the age where I think a lot of veterans sort of ease into the season. Um, I, I I think that they will right their ship, but I don't think they're going to be anywhere near the peak they were last year. And and that comes down to decisions they made, and yeah, that come all that comes down to. Um, you know, if Eric Gordon is not as unconscious as he was last year, well, that changes the dynamic of the team, especially because they're relying more on players like him this year than last year. Uh, yeah, and uh, like I don't know how much of it is is age related or whatever with Paul. He just he doesn't look good. The eye test is not very kind to him, and that's probably the burden that you pay for just being incredible for so many years you know like we're so used to like since Chris Paul was drafted basically he's just been this incredible player who's just always looked he's almost always incredibly efficient leading teams to, to wins whatever so it is a kind of a, a, a new thing to see him look this kind of just blah and like to, to your point about the about like the like especially guys like Eric Gordon, you know, like the last three seasons he's gone from four seasons rather, he's gone from thirty eight point four, thirty seven point two, uh thirty five point nine to this season thirty one point one, nine 
Uh, his volume, there was a massive increase in volume over the last two seasons in, in Houston, obviously. So there's, it's to be expected that there was a little bit of a decline in, in, in his actual percentage. But he, uh, they, kind of, they, they don't have the, the luxury of him just not being a guy who's just going to knock down, consistently knock down a couple of threes every game. I, I tend to agree with you that, I mean, my, my feeling going into this season was that this was a, with the, the subtractions and the addition of Mallow, who's since gone, whatever, I thought that it was about a 50-win team. And I got a little bit shit from Rockets Twitter back, but, you know, who said, oh, you know, you can't possibly think that a reason Mabamu to make that much of a difference. And the thing is, right, if you took two guys that were, like, big nap positives for your team last year and replaced them with, you know, a starting wing, just average, an average starting wing, then they would look fine. They would be, you know, they, I think they would be fine. They just have, if they had between, you know, the spots five through eight, if they just had a couple of average players, they'd be fine. But the, the, the problem is, is that they're having to give minutes to players that are substantial, not negatives, you know. So I, I don't know. I, I think that they will right the ship somewhat, maybe as, as Paul plays his way into form and, and into the health. But it'll just, it's just an incredible, like the, the numbers, like I, the numbers are incredible. Ninth in offense, and they are currently. Let me look this up. I believe they were twenty seventh in defense per dot com. Yeah, they're twenty sixth in defense. They were sixth in defense last year. That's like. Yeah, it's crazy. It is, and and that's that's part of the sort of fluke I talk about, where um, they they so many players had career years in the defensive end as much as they did in the offensive end. And it just clicked in a very magical way. And when that magic isn't there, well, here we are. Uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's move on into, into something um, that I don't, I don't even really know how, what way to characterize the, the, the Lakers season uh, so far. Full disclosure. Do you know those really, really stupid, stupid, stupid people that bat against LeBron James? <laughs> I, I'm aware of them. Yeah, you're talking to one. No, that, that, <laughs> not not that bad. But like, I, I, my, my feeling coming into this season was I, I thought that the Lakers had some less than ideal players, quality wise, on the roster. That and the, the fit didn't look that clean to me. I thought maybe it was going to, and we still don't know, but they've just looked much better in terms of win-losses. I thought that maybe it was going to be like a 46-47 win team that was maybe on that, if you just looked in terms of the raw point differential, was like a 43-win team. But LeBron would just kind of carry it an extra four wins or whatever. As it stands right now, you know the Lakers are in fifth place in the West, 7-3 and three over the last 10 one four straight point differential still not you know amazing or anything but solid point plus one point nine explain like tell me what's the what's your general this going to sound incredibly vague but how do you i guess as a as a as a big lakers fan someone who covers the team how do you actually feel about the team right now i honestly am really really happy with where they are right now my, my impression coming into the season, um, and by the way, I shared a lot of the same concerns that you have about sort of some of the pieces that they, you know, that they signed. Like, I, I still hate the Lance Stevenson signing, um, just as an example. Awful. Um, 
and and so I shared all of those concerns. In fact, and and if you look at it, where um, when LeBron goes to a new team, there's always a slow start. So I basically my expectation was um, they were going to be struggling like to be at 500 team through the All Star break, and then they would go on a little bit of a run, sort of either because of a trade or because they're just gelling. Like that was my sort of expectation, and I was expecting them honestly to be not more than like a you know. Honestly, the same win range that you had, like 46, 48, like that kind of win range. Um, a few things, though. I think people didn't look, and, and I don't blame people, like, why are you going to watch a Laker team that's a 30-win team uh, like they were last year? Um, people didn't people didn't understand the fact that if the Lakers sort of came back with the same roster they had, and, and you know, Julius Randle is, obviously was a part of that, but they were going to push... For a playoff seat this year, not you know, not a definitive playoff team, but they were going to push for a playoff seat. Uh, they had a solid fundamental like sort of base. The young players are pretty good. Um, I think that um, there's question about fit between somebody like Brandon Ingram and LeBron James, but the rest of the young core, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, Kyle Kuzma, fit very well with the team, and we still. For whatever reason, we still forget that LeBron James covers up so many shortcomings where all the Lakers team needs to do is keep it close in the fourth quarter of a game and LeBron will bring you home. And that is the difference between this team this year being a 500 team versus the record that they have now. Uh, yeah, I, I I think um, I mean to, to your point about the about the young players. My my whole thing coming in was I think look if if. If they're going to hit their ceiling, those young players really need to pop. And I'm a big look. I'm still I'm still on Brandon Ingram Island. You know, I still I still think you know. Uh, I I was actually watching a lot of those kind of. I really looked in because I I did a thing where I ranked, I ranked um you know all the different positions of players under 23 for Def Pen. and you know I looked a lot into Ingram and his playmaking was really. Impressive. I'm. I'm still a big Lonzo Ball guy, uh, and I, I. I'm. I'm the type of person who doesn't use this as as a pejorative. I think. I still think. If his if his floor is a Ricky Rubio type, that's a really, really, useful player that's going to help you win basketball games. You know, because he's so smart with everything he does defensively. He moves the ball. Just incredibly high intelligence guy. So I thought that the. If the Lakers were really going to do well, those young guys had to pop. As you kind of alluded to, it's been a little bit rough with Ingram kind of getting adjusted to playing with LeBron and and not maybe not being used to having the ball in his hands or you know quite as much or maybe second. I think is it fair to say maybe he's second guessing himself a lot. I you know it's it's strange. So amongst fans. Um, I have generally been pretty down on Ingram, not because I don't think he's talented. It's because when I watch him play from game to game, it's it's his his fit and the way he's been sort of developed is in a LeBron James light mold, right? And so now now that you have LeBron James, the the where Brendan Ingram slots himself in as a player, uh, it, it gets a little tenuous, and I think. This isn't Brandon Ingram's fault. This isn't necessarily the organization's fault, although I think the organization should have been sort of um, forcing him to be more of a dynamic sort of scorer um, and, and, 
and so I think that that could be blamed on the organization. I don't think it's Brandon Ingram's fault. I don't think it's LeBron James' fault. I just think it's a bad fit, and sometimes uh, you put players together and you realize they're bad fits. And uh, I, I, I personally don't really see um, them being able to do much other than for Luke Walton to sort of stagger the lineup. So um, I, I do find it difficult. I don't think that uh, they're going to be able to you know, bring Brandon Ingram off the bench uh, as a sixth man. I just think it's difficult uh, politically to do something like that. Um, but I do think that if you stagger them as much as possible and then when the summer comes, you know, the Lakers have grand plans, I think your organizational goal should be to elevate Brandon Ingram's trade value. And as counts as that sounds, when you have LeBron James, this is all you have to think about. You have to think about how you can get a championship team in the shortest amount of time possible. And the key to unlock that for this Lakers team will be, honestly, Brandon Ingram's trade value. And that's how I've approached sort of evaluating him and looking at him. Um, I think that he's regressed this year in a few ways, and I can attribute part of that to LeBron. But also in the minutes that, uh, and yeah, and and in the minutes that Ingram is playing without LeBron, he looks better. But um, I think that his full potential will be reached on another team. And that's that, by the way, that's that you should not interpret that as how Laker fans feel because I'm definitely on the lower end of people who, who see Ingram panning out. I, 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 uh, so I'm more of a pessimist than most fans. Um, but that's just the way I see it, just in a cold-blooded sort of organizational calculus sort of way. Um, developing Brandon Ingram to be a peak trade asset for the summer is going to be his greatest potential for this team. Yeah, you, you, you hit on you know, a, a bunch of different uh, points, really good points and, and things that I, I kind of wanted to, to talk about because I think, like first, I, it's so weird that you mentioned the, about the, you know, LeBron James on, LeBron off, the, the difference it makes to his thing because I was actually pulling it up on the impact stats on .com. He's a plus in limited minutes, 121 minutes he's played without LeBron. They're, the, the Lakers are plus 10.9 his true shooting percentage goes from 49.2 to 60.7. But again, that's all sample size, small sample size theater. Don't really know how that would pan out full time. But it's it's all about, number one, LeBron James teams, especially in recent history, seldom stay static. As you know, you were kind of alluding to, it's all about putting together the best team. We can almost certainly expect a, a couple of guys to get traded at the trade deadline. And then certainly in the summer, it'd be really... Like, would you put the over-under of, of guys that are on the roster right now, like, that actually return? Would you put the... If, they, if I put the over-under at three, would that even be, like, spectacularly low? Or four? Right, right. I think four is probably the right answer. Yeah, I, that, that's all it's going to be. I mean, that, that that's... When when we look at the summer, um, you, you you just look at it. You're like, okay, this this clearly was about getting LeBron, uh, seeing how he fits with the team, and then um, beyond that, just riding it out for one year before they can make their real moves and get their real team set this summer. So yeah, I I, I personally think that um, a player like Josh Hart is not going to get you like crazy trade value, so he's more valuable to stay on the team. Um, and, and beyond that, like Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, Josh Hart, and LeBron James. That's like the four players I can see coming back. Beyond that, everything's up in the air. And even those players that I listed, listen, if, if you can upgrade, uh, you know, from Lonzo, you, you have to do it. It's just, it's the reality of, of being a team that's in contention. You just, you have to make these decisions. 
yeah, it's 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 definitely. And as you say, you don't want to sound callous. You don't want to sound, you know, that's callous. Right. We're not talking about people dying here. You, you right, know, but exactly. Like, but, you know, like, you don't want to sound like you're just, like, treating players as discardable objects. But it, to a certain extent, when you're playing with LeBron James, you are expendable. And he's the yep. fulcrum of the whole team. Uh, let's finish off on this, because I haven't talked about it on the pod yet. What did you make of the Kevin Durant comments? You know, um, I think... That uh, first of all, Kevin Durant uh, makes some very str- strange comments that he doesn't always think through. Um, but what I will say is, is that the microscope that comes with LeBron James is undeniable, and the pressure that comes with that, we've now had it where Chris Bosh has felt it, Kevin Love has felt it, and I'm, when I say they felt it, they've talked about it publicly. Kyrie Irving asked for a trade away from it. Um, the microscope around LeBron is undoubtedly there. Uh, any player, any situation that involves LeBron James is automatically elevated. Um, and, uh, especially, you know, and he's a Laker now, so it's even more heightened. Um, so there's truth to what he said. I, I, am not offended by what he said, uh, you know, despite being a LeBron James fan, it's true. Um, and, and if, if. If something good happens, LeBron James will get the credit. If something bad happens, we look at how the role players can step up. And it can be unfair um, in certain situations. Uh, that being said, what I stop short on is I don't buy the fact that players don't want to play with him. I think that some players might not want to. I think some players that have already won a championship. Um, you know, I, I Brian Winters or Adrian Wojnarowski, one of them made a really good point a, a few months ago that I, I, uh, I think about a lot. The free agents this summer, uh, Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, um, these types of players, Kawhi Leonard, they've all won championships. So they don't need to deal with the LeBron microscope that comes, uh, you know, just to chase a title. But there's always going to be players who want to win, who still haven't won yet, who would benefit from being around LeBron James. Obviously, Anthony Davis being the most popular, you know, name here when we when we talk about it. Um, so I, I stop short of saying that players don't want to deal with uh, LeBron James, but I will not, you know, be naive enough to say there's no truth to what Kevin Durant said. I think uh, that's, the, that's the most like nuanced and fair way I could respond to those comments. Yeah, I, I think that um, there's a couple of things to unpack there. Right, LeBron number one is a billion dollar brand. It makes sense for him to control the narrative, to control everything that's said about him, to to. to to spin, as you alluded to, to spin uh, losses onto ancillary players and to spin, you know, not, the media will do that anyway, I don't even necessarily, like, but there is a certain amount of spin and narrative controlling and image controlling and everything. And then on the, and then on this, on the other side, players of a certain ilk, and I'm, I'm literally only talking a handful of, a handful of guys, your Anthony Davises, your Kevin Durant's, your Steph Curry's, they have, you know, not nearly the same level of brand that he has, but they also have a certain amount of image controlling that they need to be cognizant of. And I think if I was going to just go with my gut as the the type of player that I could see the Lakers getting, I honestly, and I'm not like I'm not saying this as a hot tech. I'm not saying this like to to get a rise out of Lakers fans. Nothing like that. I don't think it's going to be in the Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis caliber. I think it's going to be the most likely type of player 
are your Damian Lillards, your Campbell Walkers, your I mean, I, I, they obviously right. uh, they would have to be traded, obviously. But I think that they, they, they with with superstars in the league, there's a certain amount of where you want to go, and they have to sign off on it to a certain extent. I think it's going to be in that caliber of player, which, by the way, is an incredible player to put, an incredible type of player to put next to LeBron. But I think those are the guys who are just on the fringes of the elite, who the juice is worth the squeeze, who can turn around and say, look, I'm going to take a bunch of shit if things go wrong. But I haven't, like, especially, you know, Kamba, who's just married to mediocrity at the Hornets. Dame, since LaMarcus left, hasn't had a a great deal of postseason success, and it's looked pretty ugly at times. So I think guys like that are going to say, I don't give a shit, you know, I'll, you know, let's try it. Like, I don't, I'm trying to think of like, I was trying to think of a good analogy, but I, I'm, I'm brain dead. It's still early in the morning here. Uh, <laughs> well, no, and what I'll say, what I'll say is different about this. Um, and, and just as a counter, and by the way, I'm not, I'm not super optimistic. They're going to get a top tier free agent either. You can never predict that stuff. I didn't, I, I could not have said that LeBron James is coming for sure at any point. Right. So I, I'm not going to be, as flippant as saying, oh, we're for sure going to get, you know, Anthony Davis. Um, what I will say is uh, the Lakers are, have such a huge fan base and such a huge sort of media presence that there is room for more than one star, uh, unlike somewhere, you know, unlike maybe unlike the time that LeBron was in Cleveland. Um, the, the way the media still has a favorable view of, like, all the players, all the Lakers players, the young guys... Um, you know, it's not like Lonzo Ball. He's not getting killed by the media. He's everybody, generally speaking, this year. I think a lot of the sort of noise behind LeBron and how it's always this, you know, players' faults and like all supporting players' faults and stuff like that. That hasn't come true this year, and it may come true later. Maybe when they're losing the playoffs, it's going to completely flip. Um, but I, I think that there is the potential for LA being a different situation. And a different type of market, a different type of media environment, a different type of fan base that could accept and and not be so you know singularly focused on uh, on, uh, on LeBron. Um, so that is a possibility. But yeah, I think like you're saying, it could totally be the case where you get sort of a second tier, very very good player that becomes available either through trade or free agency, and that sort of being the team moving forward. Yeah, and I, I say this as a as like, so like I, I don't have a particular team I root for. I cover the league as impartially as I can. I would love it if, if something crazy happened and Eddie ended up in with the, the Lakers or you know something like that happened. It would be it would like the the interest and, and like you wouldn't have. And to, Warriors, I, I would. Warriors Lakers rivalry would be amazing. Oh, it would and I like I wouldn't have to think of. I wouldn't have to think of podcast topics for six months. <laughs> It'd be amazing, you know. So, look, Diamond, I've, I've kept it. I've kept it too long already. Um, I'll let you get going, uh, guys. If you've enjoyed the pod, I said at the end of every episode, it really helps the podcast out. Me and the team of one. It really helps the team out if you hit subscribe. Uh, give us a, a rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review. Tell me to go f myself. Whatever. I'm 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 cool with it all. Do it with five stars. Do it with five stars. Yeah, do it with five stars. Give me five stars, and then the and, and the penalty I pay is is the call me a Irish 
potato-eating bastard. Uh, so, uh, yeah, look, Dan, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. It's been great talking to you. Uh, any plugs or anything you want to get off your chest before we leave? Just follow me on Twitter, at Damanar, D-A-M-A-N-R. Beautiful. I will, I will talk to you. I'll be in your ears next week. Bye.